sermon this morning is on, is on money. Uh, that's why I wore my Johnny Carson suit this morning. Yeah. Now, I didn't wear the vest because I want you to know I'm sincere. And I didn't button it because I want you to know I'm going to be peaceful. <laughs> There's a real question as to whether I could button it. But... <laughs> Now, this is one of those charged subjects, and we have, for some reason, a, a brigade of people going around the country giving all sorts of magical formulas of how you can stuff your bank account with big, big bills. But let me say that if money is not a problem, then you don't have to think about it. Money is a problem in perception at best. And if it is not a problem to you, please don't think that because you've heard some comments on the whole subject this morning that you must give more thought to this. The solution to the money problem is to view it with enough peace that you give no thought to it. It simply fades into the background and is no longer taken out of context. Nothing, in fact, ever has to be thought about unless it is disturbing our ability to turn to God. So whatever aspect of the money problem may be disturbing your ability to turn to God, then only that aspect need be thought about. And if you can find some way to simply dismiss it, then the problem is solved. Whether there's more money or less debt, or whatever the situation may appear to be. Money, of course, is one of the most fearful subjects uh, today that there is. It's, Do I have enough money? Strikes terror in every heart. It's right up there with... Uh, does what I'm eating have sugar? <laughs> or uh, is my hair right? It's right up there with the real biggies. And you can't go to a church service or hear a lecture or pick up a magazine or talk show. There's not some at least indirect reference at some point to money. And of course it's always assumed that the answer to money problems is having more money. And obviously that's not true because it's so clear that there are people who have a great deal of money and are quite miserable. And it's also very clear that there are people who are very, very poor and are quite happy. So of course the answer to money problems is not more money. It's more peace. But the money problem is like a it's like a, a weed that has roots that spread out in all different directions. And all we need to do is bring peace to each of those roots. The roots are pulled up and blown away by simply adding peace to the aspect. Now I think one of the reasons this is so fearful a concept in the new thought movement and 
and the metaphysical movement, the truth movement, is that many people assume that there's some hocus-pocus to this whole subject. So if more money would indeed help, then it's assumed that if we have the right affirmation or we have the right mantra, or if we are from a more traditional form of Christianity, if we say our prayer right, we put the right words in it, that suddenly there will be this break in the cosmos and uh, money will indeed fall into our pockets from heaven. I don't know anyone, though, who pretends that there is some sort of magical cure to all this, who goes out every night with no money in his pocket and expects God to pay for the bill at the restaurant. Not that there haven't been instances in which that has happened, but who would expect something so absurd as that, that you would simply go out and eat in a different restaurant every night and expect God to pick up the tab? There, half the world goes to sleep hungry. And according to whatever statistics you read, somewhere between a fourth and a third of the world is starving to death. Can it be said that God will provide for you? A fourth to a third of the world starving to death and half of the entire world going to bed hungry. And we say, well, God will provide for you. This is patently absurd. God will provide for us, but not in the sense that he puts money in our bank account or food on our table. It's not that in turning to God, we may not solve those problems, because of the peace that fills our heart and the calmness that settles over our mind so that we open ourselves up to what he made of us. And we can step beyond the problems that we have made for ourselves. Of course that happens. But to think that there's some sort of magical way to evoke God, either as a principle or as an entity, causes a tremendous amount of grief and a profound self-deception. Because in order to maintain that belief, we must kid ourselves about all the times that it did not work. We have to quickly forget those and only cite the ones that, that do. I have a friend who went to an employment agency here in Santa Fe. And as would be in Santa Fe, uh, the woman who was interviewing her said, oh, uh, let me analyze your handwriting. <laughs> Which she did, and she said, oh, you don't belong in Santa Fe. <laughs> you belong in L.A. Um, so she left the office and uh, thought, well, possibly that's so. Uh, this is indeed something to consider. 
And as soon as she walked, this is a true story, as soon as she walked out the door of the employment agency, she met a man. And the man said, hello, so-and-so. Oh, I see by your aura and your vibrations. This is a true story. I see by your aura and your vibrations that you're now ready to stay here in Santa Fe. <laughs> I kid you not, this actually happened. He said, all you need is a little body work. <laughs> yeah. So there is no hocus pocus to all this. And you don't have to consult anything except your own heart. Because that's with what, where your self, with a capital S, speaks to you. The self that is in and of God speaks to you in your honesty, in your calm knowing. Perhaps you would like to set up two chairs as an experiment, the old Fritz Perls technique, and be your own financial advisor. So you sit in one chair and you have your financial advisor in the other chair. Now if you play this little game, here's how I'd suggest you play it. Your financial advisor can't say anything spiritual to you. Your financial advisor is just going to talk to you honestly about your money problems. So what you do is you say, what about such and such a situation? Then you get out of the chair and you sit in the financial advisor's chair and you answer the question. You will get very good practical advice, such as don't spend money you don't have. <laughs> I'm sure that you all can see that you would get good advice if you were to put your honest, straightforward self in a chair and let it speak to you. What you already know what you already sense in your heart is causing the money problem. If you just let that sense of yourself speak to you, then you will get very good advice. So where does the mischief come in? When we add magic to all of this, hocus pocus. Is God saying to half the world, you just haven't said the right mantra yet? Of course not. This is absurd. God indeed loves us, but wishes us to wake from this very silly dream that we're in. And so what is the point in going in and messing with the dream and meeting every demand that the ego may make? God does love us, but the truth is entered. Heaven is a reality that surrounds us. Home is a fact that is below us and above us. We can enter it. But we cannot break off little pieces of heaven and stick them into the cracks that we ourselves have made. Yes, it does appear that this happens at times. Now, I can tell you this because I did this for at least 20 years. I went around trying this kind of magic. And I started a real estate firm when I was 20 years old in Dallas, Texas. And my partner and I went to a very wealthy man because we had started our business and it was going pretty well. And we decided what we needed was someone to invest in it. 
We're going to make the whole thing expand. We went to a very wealthy man who was supposed to be also extremely wise. We asked him if he would invest in our real estate business. And he looked at it and he said, I, I'm sure you're going to make a great success of this. But he said, I will not invest in the business because you should not spend money you do not have. And I was shocked at this statement. I was on a spiritual path. i had been led to believe that this man was on a spiritual path. And here he was telling me something like that. And so, of course, we went to other people and other people until we finally did, in fact, borrow a great deal of money. And it took me about five years to dig myself out of that hole because I had all, we had all this extra money and we just started spending it hand over fist. And it wasn't until we got back to the simplicity with which we started that the business indeed began doing well, helping people and helping, helping us. So how much money do you need? More than enough, says the ego. Now let's think about that for a minute. More than enough. Well, uh, you need, don't you? A little put away in savings, maybe a few CDs and so forth. That would be enough. But you need more than enough, says the ego. So we have what might be called the desire level. And I'm sure that most of you have already noticed because for most of you, your circumstances have improved, whether you've been on a spiritual path or not. Those of you who have been on a spiritual path has, have probably attributed this to mantras. And those of you who haven't, it's attributed to reading the Wall Street Journal. <laughs> it was about the same for both groups. <laughs> but I'm sure you noticed that during the lean years, when you and your husband or you and your wife or just you starting out, there was a certain percentage of either surplus or deficit in your life. If you took the total amount of your income, you either had X amount, X percentage of that extra that you were kind of keeping aside, or you had X amount that you were in debt. Now, as your income rose, I'm sure that most of you have noticed that that percentage remained exactly the same. You are still about the same percentage in debt or you have about the same percentage left over. That's because the desire level of the ego does not change. As one more of our friends defaulted on the loan that we had co-signed <laughs> at the bank, the bank was calling me about this a couple of weeks ago. Gail and I sat down and we listed to ourselves everyone that we had lent money to over the years. It was a very long list, many, many thousands of dollars. And we asked ourselves one simple question. Could we think of anybody this had helped? Now, in every single circumstance, the individual was was in a sort of a crisis. And by our giving them the money or co-signing a note, we relieved the crisis. But every single one of these people had gotten right back into the same fix. 
This is why Mother Teresa does not give alms to children. This is why Joel Goldsmith, toward the end of his life, started telling his students not to heal any longer, but to teach people how to heal themselves. Because he saw the same pattern being repeated over and over and over again. This is why those people who have laid aside their egos do not interfere in this dream any longer. That's no longer done. There is no direct interference now. Now what we think is that we can interfere, that we can evoke some sort of spiritual principle or pray just right or get in just the right position when we do pray. And suddenly there'll be this set. The fact, of course, is that we are so conflicted that we cannot do this. It's not that this isn't possible. And people who talk about this particular subject are generally saying things that are true. They're just leaving out one thing. And that is, there isn't anyone in the audience who's ready to do it. There isn't anyone whose heart is so pure, whose mind is so focused that they can manipulate this world. It is possible to manipulate this world. But I do not personally know anyone who can do that because if we have a money problem and we have been creating this same kind of money problem over the last 10, 15, 20, 30, 40 years, isn't it obvious that there's a part of us that wants that kind of money problem? No matter how our circumstances change, no matter what city we live in, no matter whether we get an inheritance or don't get one, no matter what job we change to, we always have the same money problem. Obviously, we are doing something to bring about our particular money problem. So how can we now say a mantra or an affirmation or a and our mind so focused that we can now manipulate events so that money will come to us through some unexpected and magical means. Of course, money is always coming to us through some unexpected and seemingly magical means. Every single person, no matter what kind of path they are on, has this happen to them. And if you think drinking three glasses of milk in the morning will do it for you, there will be a time in which you have drunk three glasses of milk and suddenly there's some unexpected money that's appeared. It has nothing to do with the milk. The reason that I stress this and the reason that we've stressed this theme before in this church is that this makes people so unhappy to approach this whole thing in, in this way. Through magic, through hocus-pocus. The time will come in which you will be able to manipulate the world. But the time will come at the same instant that you will not want to do it. It's when you don't want to do it that your heart will be so pure that you could do it if you wish to. So how much money do we need? We need enough money to live simply and to be at peace and to do the work that God has for us to do. And what is the work that God has for us to do? 
simply to be kind, to be patient, and to forgive ourselves and our brothers and sisters. That is the work that God has for us to do. And it might be helpful if you were to look at each purchase in terms of that question. Will this allow me, will this help me be a teacher of God? Will this purchase help me be more peaceful? Will this purchase allow me to live more simply? And be more effective in my desire to be kind and to help? Those are not fearful questions. They do avoid the guidance of, of excitement. That's all the amount of money we need. We have more than enough if we can simply do that. And what is it that keeps us from doing it? What is it that keeps us from living simply and peacefully? And fulfilling our God-given function. It is fear. Whatever the ego loves, it fears. The greater the fear, the greater the love. This is very easy to see. What your ego tells you you want scares you. The more it tells you you want it, the more frightened you are. Whether you get it or you don't get it. So to brush off fear from the subject of money is to solve all money problems. To still be fearful about money in any aspect is to still carry some problem with us. Now this fear is expressed in a number of ways and I'd like to just talk about a few ways that people on a spiritual path cause problems for themselves. Here's how the fear often enters with people on a spiritual path. First of all, people on a spiritual path, I've noticed, often severely limit their options. It is certainly not spiritual to have a nine-to-five job. And so people will do anything to avoid a nine-to-five job. They don't even want to admit at a party that they would have such a job. <laughs> people on a spiritual path would never clip coupons. <laughs> they wouldn't do that. Can you imagine anyone on a spiritual path actually belonging to a coupon club? They certainly wouldn't admit this, would they? They wouldn't shop around. They wouldn't wait at long lines at bag and save. When you sit down and have your talk with yourself about money, first of all, say to yourself, I am open to any option that will bring peace to my life. Oftentimes, it's far more peaceful for someone to go ahead and work than it is for them to wait year after year after year for money to somehow fall into their pockets from some magical and spiritual source some mystical happening that they haven't quite yet evoked. It is all right to work from nine to five every day of your life until the day you die. That is perfectly all right. And many people have solved the money problem 
by simply doing that. Just going to work. <laughs> the way you can tell that someone has just placed their foot on a spiritual path is they quit their job. <laughs> I have gotten so many calls from people who said, well, I just started reading Course in Miracles and I've quit my job. And they think, you know, I'm just going to applaud that and just think that's just the most wonderful thing. In my travels about the country, I've met a number of people who talk a great deal about how to evoke money. I know of a number of organizations in which this is their central theme. As a matter of fact, a good friend of mine just joined one of the huge organizations who's probably best known for putting money in people's pockets through uh, mental, mental tricks. She attended the first board meeting, and she told me she was appalled. The organization was hopelessly in debt. <laughs> she said she almost resigned right on the spot. I have never known any man, I'm sure there are some, but I've never known any man or woman who has made this the focus of their ministry, money and the making of money, who does not have periodic money problems. And the reason is very simple, and that is that the whole subject has been taken out of context. And as soon as you take any aspect of your life out of context and start focusing all of your attention on it as a daily preoccupation, not as a way of solving it, then fear gathers around it, and fear fill, fills your heart. And as soon as fear fills your heart, there is no room for the peace of God, and there's no room for a solution. So the first cause of money problems on people on a spiritual path is that they limit their options. They are not open to alternative ways of making money. They're not open to saving. They're not open to budgeting. They're not open to savings accounts. They're not opening of taking advantage of the, of the tax laws, honestly and fairly. Somehow they have to walk this bitter, narrow path. There are all these things that they can't allow themselves to do because it's not somehow spiritual. The second cause is the belief that spending is a pleasure. This is very deeply rooted. Almost all of our ads in the newspapers and magazines and on television and so forth play to this supposed great pleasure, the pleasure of spending money. I'd like to let you in on a secret. It is more fun to save money than it is to spend it. It's not more spiritual to save it, but it is a greater pleasure. If you haven't had that pleasure, you might try it. And here is why I believe it is, in fact, on an ego level, more fun and more satisfying to save money than it is to spend it. Because it's easier. It's simpler. Your life is so much simpler if you are saving money rather than spending it. Now, of course, that's not the bottom line. But it is. If, if the whole point is pleasure, then ask yourself, have I indulged this ego pleasure of saving money? 
putting a little aside. Did you know you can love your bank account? <laughs> to love your bank account is not to love money. One of the things that people do is that as they start making more money is they start defending themselves against their life, against their home, against their car. And as they get more and more money, they hire this army to defend themselves. And so they're constantly taking their car in to be fixed and they've got all these people out there working on their house and so forth. And they have forgotten that as soon as they do that, they stop feeling a oneness with their car, with their house. To simply take care of things yourself, if it's peaceful for you to do that, will give you a sense of oneness with it. Now your home becomes your friend because you're doing some of the things that, that need to be done. It's an interesting shift in perception that takes place when a president of a company begins taking more interest in the company, loving the company, and caring for it like he would a little plant. A little plant that grows in your vegetable garden is not more spiritual than GM. It's not more spiritual than a savings account. It's not more spiritual than a dollar bill. On the level of perception, a little vegetable plant is exactly the same as a hundred dollar bill. There's, there's, there is no difference. But there is a difference in our attitude towards it. There is a difference in how much love and care we bring to the whole subject. The third cause, strangely enough, is the belief that we must charge for everything that we do. Now, fear, remember, is the basic cause. So what we're talking about here are the various ways that fears, fear manifests. I was talking to a very fine woman recently who was agonizing over whether or not she should charge for the service that she was rendering a particular organization. And she was rendering a considerable service. This was a service that she ordinarily was paid for. In this particular instance, she was not being paid for, for it because the organization was an all-volunteer organization. And in talking about it, she suddenly realized that she had an option, which was not to charge because it was giving her so much pleasure to simply give this to the organization. As long as she thought that somehow it was her right to receive money, that she ought to receive money for her work, then she was confused and conflicted. The reason she was confused and conflicted was because in her heart she wanted to make this a gift. So as soon as she saw that this was a viable option, her voice just seemed to sigh and she was so happy. She simply looked in her heart and realized that she didn't have to charge. I don't charge for the counseling work that I do. I don't receive any money for this here. If that's not either good or bad. That's not a noble thing. It's just more peaceful for me to do it that way. And I know many people who are in the helping profession that have chosen to go about it in that way. Jerry Jampolsky is a psychiatrist who does not charge his patients. All the Centers for Attitudinal Healing do not charge for anything that they do, not for training people, not for the children who come there. 
not even for the phone calls that the children make to others. They do not charge. It's more peaceful for them to go about it in that way. And peace eliminates fear. And fear is the only money problem. A fourth cause that I've noticed among people on the spiritual path is worthy causes. So, for example, um, a person on a spiritual path, I've noticed, will often invest in something that is going to go bankrupt, <laughs> such as uh, a goat cheese factory. Or <laughs> someone suddenly comes out and says, well, we have no goat milk ice cream. Wouldn't this be wonderful? I see people losing their money all the place because they assume that it has a, some sort of spiritual overtone or it's, uh, it somehow would help with pollution or it somehow would help with nutrition, that it's got to put money in their pockets and that God is going to be watching this very carefully and reward them because they put their money into this. This is not true. It simply doesn't happen. It's not the way the world operates. If, in fact, they had put their money in the uh, anti-fly rifle, have you all seen the anti-fly rifle? You know, you shoot it and, the, and there's a little thing that comes out smushes the fly and then it's got a card attached you can actually reel the fly back and look at what you've done now that may have made some money you see they could that didn't happen but would a spiritual person invest in such a thing as that no of course not another one is buying as a balm going on a spending, free because, uh, spending spree because we're feeling lonely or because we uh, just our relationship just broke up um, or because we're angry or something. And so we go out and we buy and buy and buy. Now, if you look closely at this, what's behind this desire is a new body. You see, we're going out. This is not obvious if you'll just look at it. What you want is a new body because your old body has just betrayed you. And so now you're going to get the little scarfs and the little heels. They're just about a half inch higher and so forth. And a nice belt and so forth. And a few little things to have around in your uh, den of iniquity. And, uh, this, this, and this will give you a whole new body and a whole new start. Now, it won't do that, of course. It just spends money. And there's a sense of anxiety about every one of those purchases. An interesting little exercise to do sometimes is simply to look around your house or just look around your room and see the little auras of fear around certain objects. If you did not buy something in peace and you did not buy something for the reason of peace, it was a mistake and it will always be a mistake. It is not a curse. That object does not curse you because objects can neither love us nor curse us. And when we go on a buying spree, we're assuming that there are certain objects that can love us and give us comfort and make us feel better. How can an object make you feel better? It can't do that any more than it can curse you. If it could make you feel better, it could curse you. And there are people who think that objects can actually curse them. And there are people making big bucks. Alternative form. You should think about this as an alternative form of income. They're making, they're making big, big bucks by going in and they, they uh, take away the negative aura and they replace it with a nice, bright, pastel-colored aura, do you see? And now the thing doesn't... Uh, there's lots of things you can do to the object to make this happen. So if you really want a new 
body, uh, why don't you, instead of doing that, uh, go to something like the Golden Door. Has anybody heard of the Golden Door in Sinise in California? There you can become your own poodle. <laughs> you can get your nails done for you and your toenails and so forth, and people give you little massages and they'll bring you food and so forth. I haven't actually been there, as you can see, because you also get thinner when you go there. <laughs> no. A sixth way that fear manifests itself. And this is really fun. Is uh, that once we decide that we are indeed going to simplify our lives. That we are tired of having money problems. That's when the turnaround always comes. You're just through with this. This has gone on long enough. You're going to live simply and at peace now. Then Edgar, the higher ego, steps in and says... Yes, you need to be properly outfitted for your new simplicity and for your new saving ways. You need to go to a budget psychic, first of all, and get advice. And, and then buy a little budget book. And then buy a little check organizer. And then you need to buy a little uh, pocket calculator where you can figure all this out. And uh, it would save you a great deal of money if you actually owned a grain mill. Uh, and grow, you know, did your own grain. So, and then, of course, you need to dress in a way that people will know that you are now living simply and money is no longer preoccupation. I would like to recommend white cotton. <laughs> and in all of your new white cotton clothes, you should make many trips to the flea market be seen in the flea market. I'm not kidding you. As soon as a person makes... I've been through this. I'm telling you, everything, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm, everything I'm mentioning here, I myself, these are, I'm showing you all the places that I fell flat on my face. This is, this is what's going on. That's how I happen to know all this stuff. You see. What happens is that as soon as you make the decision to live more simply you really will go out and immediately make your life ten times more complicated because you think that you know what it looks like to be simple. And you have to have all this equipment and all these accoutrements. All right. So what are the solutions? Possibly the, the solution, of course, is the elimination of fear. It's bringing peace to every aspect of your life. Pausing, for example, before any of these things that disturb you. Does it disturb you to open the mailbox? <laughs> is there a, does, do your eyes squint in terror as you look through the, the letters and, and see the great big stenciled red letters? We're coming to get you. <laughs> then pause before you open the mailbox. Pause before you open the bill. This country is very nice about letting you know it will be a bill because they have this little window there. <laughs> Knowing that uh, you will not throw away a bill. You will not do... You Fear, of course, is the way... The ego's way of controlling, controlling us. So, by putting a little window and showing that it's a bill, you will open this letter. So, pause before you open the letter. 
pause before you open your bank statement. Bless the bank as you drive by it. <laughs> See how innocent those people are. They're just people like you and me making a living. They have to make phone calls that they don't like making. Bless the downtown Connie's. Which, put, which puts the names twice as big as the other Connie's on the bad check list. <laughs> Bless the list. It's just a little list. It's just little pieces of ink on paper. It's innocent. See it as innocent. See the person that had to stick it up there is innocent. See the cashier that stands in front of it is innocent. This eliminates fear. And fear is the root of the problem. So... Possibly the first thing that would be helpful is to dissect your money soap opera. Just cut it into little pieces. Sit down and be very honest with yourself and look at every aspect of this little soap opera that you've been in for all these years. And ask yourself, what can I do about each of these things? Do you periodically go berserk when you get a little money in your pocket? <laughs> Possibly it would help for you to make a list of things you're going to buy before you go to the mall, you see, and only buy the things. All of these little things that we think we're caught up in and that we're somehow controlled by can be so simply walked beyond. None of the specifics that I'm mentioning you have to do. I mention them because there are ways, there are people, for example, that are so compulsive about drinking that if they pass a liquor store, they will go in and buy liquor. Their solution is to map their route so they go by no liquor stores. It's very simple. This is a first step. The ego wants you to solve it all at once. It does not want you to take a little first step. But the interesting thing is, and I've noticed this, that nine out of ten taps, uh, nine, nine, out of, nine out of ten times, if we take just a little step, just a little action, a teeny little action, the whole problem disappears because a little of the peace of God has entered the situation. Third suggestion is turn and bless the person who has just cost you money. <laughs> There are a lot of people who seem to fall in that category. <laughs> the woman who brings you the check for the meal. Turn and, turn and bless the owner. You know how much. Yes, you saw them over at Safeway going through the mushrooms. You know how much they paid for the mushrooms. You know how much you just paid for the mushrooms. <laughs> turn and bless them. This may have been a solution to their money problem. <laughs> All right. Forgive your creditors. Just take a moment. To forgive anyone who owes you money or anyone who's demanding money of you. Take a moment to see them as innocent. Take a moment to see they're doing the best they can. A lot of people think to write the nastiest letter they can write gets the best results. They, of course, are mistaken. But didn't we all operate that way at one time? Didn't we all believe that fear was the way to get, and to strike fear in other people's heart was the way? So we don't have to get offended because someone hasn't seen something that maybe we've seen a little bit. And in all of this, do not become tight 
Do not become a skin flint. Do not become hard-nosed. Listen to those expressions. Tight, a skin flint, hard-nosed. They all say the same thing, don't they? Tight. Skin like flint. Hard. Answer is so obvious that this is not the way to solve money problems. As a matter of fact, add generosity, true generosity, not bailing people out of things that you know they're going to get right back in, but true generosity, true helpfulness. This will relieve your fear to do this. So let me summarize by just giving a few simple rules. I've already mentioned do not spend money you do not, you, don't, you do not have. Now, of course, your ego will bring up all kinds of things because you can find a thousand people who will advise you on uh, how much money you save if you have uh, credit cards and if you take deductions and if you do on, on, on. And all that thing may be very good. And if you like playing that game, then do, in fact, play it because it's peaceful for you to play it. And I know people who love playing that game. But if it doesn't make you peaceful, then you might notice that you will probably spend less money if you spend the money you have rather than you spend the money that you're going to get in Never Never Land. This is not more spiritual. This is simply a little suggestion. As I said before, I mentioned these specifics only because a specific can be a little step to get away. This may not be the specific for for you. But it is simple. Can you imagine Mother Teresa pulling out her American Express card? <laughs> somehow we just know this doesn't happen. Can you can you uh, imagine uh, Baba Muktananda pulling out a slip, a slip of paper and uh, writing down all the reasons that this lunch is deductible? Now, well, the reason I mention that is that it's obvious that people, as they go along and their, and, their, and their egos become weaker and weaker, then all of this conniving begins to fall away and they just live very, very simply. It would, however, be a mistake. It would be a mistake for you to start behaving in that way if you're not at that place yet. So if it makes you more peaceful to write down all the things that IRS needs to have the lunch deductible, then certainly do that because peace is the goal. But as you bring peace into everything, then you will find a simplicity that spreads over all these matters. A third general rule is, the second one was simplifying. Third general rule is, large purchases will not make you happy. I can remember so well the day that Gail and I heard that in meditation. <laughs> Large purchases will not make you happy. Uh, I forget how long it was before we woke up and said, I think whoever that was had a point. After having made several large purchases that made us very unhappy, and we had rationalized them in all sorts of ways. It's just a fact. Of course you have to make a large purchase every once in a while. Suddenly you realize your car is falling apart. You're going to have to do something about it. But we don't have to constantly be fixing everything up, trying to get everything perfect? Are you spending a great deal of time trying to make your car perfect, your house perfect, 
your wardrobe perfect. Another general rule. Never follow your excitement. Follow your peace. If you needed one rule, I would say that one. Excitement is the way to money problems. If you feel excited about anything that has to do with money, don't do it. Just pause a moment and do something in peace. You cannot make a mistake if you do anything in peace. Anything. If you spend the money or not spend the money. If you do it in peace, it will not hurt you. Another one we've already mentioned is be open to any option. And the last one is be generous. Especially with your peace. There's nothing you can bring to your body that your heart can receive. There's nothing you can bring to your body that God can receive. There's nothing you can bring to your body that will contribute to your awakening. Money is just there to serve you. It's just little slips of green paper and metal discs. It's so innocent. It's just a little means. It's just a little financial trick that the human race has come up with. It isn't even money that we long for. It's the experience that we think money will bring to us. You can have the experience that you think money will bring to you now. Look at the experience that you think the money will bring you. If it will bring it to you, it is not of God. If it is bringing it to you, it is of God. This does not mean not to spend the money. It means that the experience is yours. The peace of God is your gift. To this instant would I bring the peace of God. To this letter would I bring the peace of God. To this purchase. To this bank account. To this aspect of my life. To this person would I bring the peace of God. To this day would I bring the peace of God. To this meal would I bring the peace of God. To this sound would I bring the peace of God. That is a prayer that you can say an unlimited number of times. To this instant would I bring the peace of God? Would you say that with me? To this instant, would I bring the peace of God? I wonder if you'd join with me and close your eyes with me. And if this whole talk this Sunday has evoked any fear in you, then identify that little fish or those little fishes those little fearful fishes just look at them anything you're afraid of any mistakes you may have thought you have made any mistakes you're afraid you might make any trouble spots any troubled waters say to this would I bring the peace of God this instant, 
Money represents bounty. And bounty we have because God surrounds us. When peace fills our heart, we see that this whole work, this whole earth, even this earth itself is a gift. There are so many gifts we are not receiving. It is not possible to walk down the street without having them shower you, but it is possible to walk down the street and not see a single one. Your child was a gift. Your parents are dear, sweet gifts. This town is a gift. The trees and the breeze and the beautiful, beautiful light and the mountains are gifts. And the sidewalks have been laid so your feet won't get muddy. And there's stop signs to make you safe. And there's signs in front of stores to let you know what's there. And there are newspapers. We have two newspapers here. Just to let you know what's going on. Notice how many smiles. Notice how many people nod. Notice how many people are patient. Notice the flowers that people have planted. Along some of the busiest streets, you'll see someone out there working in a very, very small little piece of ground. And there's this beautiful gift for your eyes just because you may pass that way. And at Christmas time, people put lights so that you may see them. And there are books and stores. And there are books and libraries if you don't have the money to read them. And all around us is God's permanent feast because every aspect of this illusion has been injected with the love of God. And there is nothing on this earth that cannot bless you if you will simply open your heart and allow it. Let us resolve the day to be receivers to be open-hearted, to have a heart that is as big as the sky and receive it all, all of God that pours out every pore in this universe. Let us delight in the color and the sounds and the people. And let us delight most of all that our journey is very short, our way is certain, and home awaits us.